Um, our next speaker is Professor Liam Verona, um, well known to most of you here, member of the Royal Irish Academy and a senior professor at the School of Celtic Studies, Dublin School of Advanced Studies. And his talk uh, now will be on the proximity of the Lara Brass and the case for a diplomatic position. So over to you, Liam. Right, uh, thanks very much. Yeah. Um, you have a handout, and I'll be referring to uh, the first three pages, um, numbered items, and then there's some nice illustrated pictures uh, after that, so I'll be referring to those by page numbers. Okay, so you will have heard uh, already much about the manuscript uh, itself from the other speakers, uh, written in various places uh, from, at least we have dates, yeah, between 1408 and 1411. Uh, but many of the texts, of course, are centuries uh, earlier. It was written nearly all by one scribe, and as, as with all manuscripts, uh, as opposed to printed books, it is a unique document. What I want to look at in my talk today is the ways in which this and other such manuscripts have been reproduced in the past and might be uh, in the future. So I'll begin with uh, facsimiles, which is uh, item number one on your uh, handout, oh, sorry, number two and three. Uh, I will leave out of consideration transcripts, such as those done by O'Donovan and O'Curry uh, of the law, tra law tracks, uh, and begin with the project initiated in the Royal Irish Academy in the late 19th century to produce exact copies or facsimiles of Irish manuscripts. And I list in the handout the most important facsimiles of manuscripts containing material in medieval Irish published between 1870 and 1954. Uh, the first one is uh, the first three there, Lardnahida and Lardbrack and the Book of Leinster um, uh, form a separate group. Um, <coughs> clearly, a great deal of time and uh, effort was put into this work of reproduction, uh, although for, the most, for most of the facsimiles, what was involved was mechanical reproduction or photographic reproduction. Uh, this was not the case for the first three on the list. The three earliest ones are lithographic facsimiles, which had to be made from copies rather than directly from the original manuscripts. So strictly speaking, the copies from which these facsimiles were made are in themselves also unique uh, documents. Um, the others were uh, photographic uh, facsimiles. Um, and the lithographic facsimiles, the first three, were all done by one scribe, uh, Joseph O'Longon, whose name you'll have mentioned uh, heard mentioned already. Um, <coughs> it may be noted, however, that the original plan for the first of the photographic uh, facsimiles, that is the Book of Ballymote, uh, in uh, 18, uh, 1887, uh, the original plan for the first of these was also for a lithographic facsimile, uh, but it had to be abandoned in favour of the photographic one. As Padre Gamachon points out in the uh, paper referred to on the handout, uh, as Joseph Longon had died in 1880, shortly after starting work on the Book of Ballymote, no complete transcript of his existed to form the basis for the facsimile of Ballymote. Accordingly, it was de decided to proceed with the photographic facsimile. Uh, O'Machan also notes that the proof pages of Longon's work on the early leaves of the Book of Ballymote survive as RA manuscript 24, page 30. They're mentioned on the handout. And um, the, um, uh, there is, um, yeah, the, the publishers are indicated on the handout, as you can see from the, uh, the list. Most of the early facsimiles were produced by the Royal Irish Academy, 
Um, the, uh, there's one early, the Robinson B502 is produced, printed at the Clarendon Press in Oxford. Um, uh, the old Irish glosses in Würzburg, I mean, the text is, is Latin, the epistles of St. Paul, but the glosses are an extremely important um, source of old Irish. That was uh, uh, published in Halle. Um, <coughs> and the others then were published by the Irish Manuscripts Commission beginning in 1931 uh, with the uh, uh, proximity of the, the uh, Shanafis Moor, uh, the oldest fragments of the Shanafis Moor, uh, followed by the Annals of Inish Fallon. Uh, the Old Irish Glosses, the Academy's uh, last uh, publication, uh, facsimile was in 1936. So the Irish manuscripts were filed, the Irish Manuscripts Commission overlapped with the, uh, the Royal Irish Academy, uh, producing the, gloss the, the Old Irish Glosses in Milan. Okay, um, the, um, uh, uh, one of these uh, photographic facsimiles uh, stands out from all the rest in that it achieves the unique distinction of being a mostly illegible photographic facsimile. Uh, this is the volume for the Yellow Book of Lecan produced under the direction of Robert Atkinson in 1896. This is a name that uh, you will have noticed keeps popping up. I can't avoid it. Um, um, uh, and I will cite from the review by Kunamar in ZCP uh, volume one. Uh, referred to on the, the handout, uh, ZCB, that's 1897. Uh, at last, after an interval of nine years, the Royal Irish Academy have issued another volume of their facsimile reproductions of early Irish manuscripts. It is a matter for congratulation that their selection should have fallen on the Yellow Book of Lecan. Its appearance was eagerly expected by Irish students all over the world. But alas, their anticipations were destined to be sadly disappointed. As one turns over one blurred and darkened page of this huge yellow tome after another, most of them illegible in part, some wholly so, one realises with dismay that it will be impossible to use almost any of its contents without comparing them with the original. In any case, they ought to have entrusted the production of this new volume to more competent hands. It certainly is the worst specimen of photolithography ever published. As I write this, I have before me a number of perfectly legible photographs of pages from the Yellow Book, uh, which in the facsimile are in a state of semi-illegibility. The mischief once done, it was the plain duty of the editor, that's Atkinson, uh, to point out in his introduction what the actual state of the original is in those cases in which the photographer has been unsuccessful. This he has unfortunately not done. There is not a word of explanation on so important a point. Published 20 years earlier, the facsimile of the Lair Black is in all respects superior to that of uh, the Yellow Book of Black. Now, the facsimile of the Lair Black was originally published in two parts, in 1872 and 1876, but all copies I have seen uh, are of the complete facsimile published as a single volume in 18, uh, dated 1876. Um, <coughs> details of the publishing history of the Larbrack and the other two early facsimiles can be found in the article uh, by Timothy O'Neill uh, mentioned on the handout uh, number four. Uh, and there's also another article by Siobhan Fitzpatrick on Shosobo Longod himself in that, uh, in that same volume. Um, now, the achievement of uh, Longod is uh, uh, considerable. Uh, it can be quite a task to transcribe a text from a manuscript but the task would be truly daunting if you were required to reproduce exactly 
the layout of the original, following faithfully its letter shapes, abbreviations, and word division. Um, uh, Nika illustrated the, uh, the first half, first page of the, um, uh, the, uh, uh, the Fader Angusa for the, the first half of January, and the extremely common. You, can never, you, you could never imagine, so it's an illustration of why two medieval manuscripts are never going to be exactly the same. Nobody is going to, uh, they're going to have their own plan. Even if they copy everything that's in it, they're going to have a different uh, layout. Uh, Olongon, anyone, those who are familiar with transcribing text from the Larbrack will know that Olongon completed the task with a remarkable degree of accuracy. There are very few deviations from the original in his facsimile. And to illustrate his achievement, I include in the handout two images of two pages from this facsimile where the layout is particularly complicated. These are on pages four and five of the handout. So um, the image on page four first, uh, like that. Uh, uh, first, um, uh, the image on page four shows on the first column uh, part of a litany of Irish saints. Uh, continuing into the lower margin, that is as in the original, it continues down into the lower mar margin, margin uh, in order to allow the next text to begin at the top of the second column. And this is the beginning of a copy of the shorter version of the tripartite life of uh, Patrick, cast in the form of a homily. Um, and uh, that is a, a very difficult uh, piece of um, uh, a, a manuscript page to transcribe uh, 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 to copy uh, exactly. Uh, even more daunting is the uh, the next page. This is again. This is the first. Uh, the image on page five is of the verses for the for the first to the sixteenth of January of the old Irish calendar of Angus, uh, the Pedro Angus, with extensive later commentary, including anecdotes of the saints, and the well-known poem Isagon included in a story of Ida, uh, commemorated on the 15th of uh, January. Uh, Isagon is down here at the bottom, the, the poem Isagon. Uh, that is an extraordinary um, uh, achievement, to be able to copy exactly that pa page and reproduce uh, by, by hand the, uh, the layout of that page in all its uh, detail. Um, now, uh, a, particularly, uh, a particular difficulty in transcribing is uh, apart from this one, uh, and transcribing is different from making a facsimile, right? Even transcribing, uh, where you're not constrained, where you don't have to reproduce the layout of the original page. What do you do when you come across an error, right? Or what you think is an error in the manuscript you're copying from? Uh, nowadays, when an editor is, wishes to correct a, a, an error, it is expected that the original text should also be noted. You, it is not acceptable to correct an error silently. While on other occasions or in other times one might correct silently, this was not allowable in a facsimile. Uh, so there's another manuscript in the Academy's collection which gives us an interesting insight into how a knowledgeable scribe could deal with this uh, dilemma. And this is on the handout, again, um, uh, item uh, number, number five. On the handout, uh, manuscript 23G38 in the Academy. Uh, it's described in the catalogue somewhat inaccurately as... Um, uh, on Lauerbrach orthography, this is a list of the orthographical peculiarities in the Lauerbrach by Joseph O'Lungon. Uh, rather, and I've given a few examples from it, the, uh, the more accurate description is the manuscript consists of readings of the, of the uh, manuscript followed by a suggested reading. Right? So in other words, these are the, what O'Lungon had to transcribe in his facsimile, but he saw they were wrong. 
and he wanted to correct him, but he couldn't correct him in the facsimile, so he had to do it somewhere else. Um, so, uh, and, uh, the first two are errors, right, in Irthad of the East, right, so he has the original. Uh, the problem there is the O-I-R in the final syllable, uh, suggested reading I-R, right, which everyone would accept. The next one is a, um, uh, an instance of haplography, Reve Nadechad is neither before nor after, right, so that is an error for Reve Nadechad before him or nor in uh, after him. So instead of the original has one N sequence NA, uh, it's an error, a slip for two NAs in sequence, right? So that's the suge suggested reading. And the last one illustrates a perceived error um, where the original has istirsa in this land, right? And his suggested reading is istirsa. Actually, that is a shortened form of the, the preposition I and the article which is commonly found in Middle Irish, uh, but uh, goes out uh, of usage in the later language, surviving only in uh, uh, the expression istig, right, uh, inside, istaf uh, istig, that shortened form, was much more widely used. Olunga uh, uh, perceived that to be an error, right? And it also shows, this is, of course, a very nice illustration of what a knowledgeable scribe would do if they were not under... Uh, the restrictions of having to produce a facsimile of the manuscript, they were correct. Right? Uh, either errors or perceived errors. Right. Okay, so then as some of the, the um, uh, effects then of the publication of the, the facsimile, uh, the Larbrack contains text dating from the old Middle Irish period along with some from the beginning of the early modern Irish period. By definition, it can only be the first two centuries of the early modern Irish period, of course. Uh, and the publication of the facsimile had a major impact on the scholarship of Old and Middle Irish. Editions and translations of texts in this manuscript, in, uh, of texts found in this manuscript, increased significantly after the publication of the facsimile. In fact, I know of only one uh, major text in the Larbrack which was published before the appearance of any part of the facsimile, and that is Sanus Cormac, or Cormac's Glossary, uh, on pages uh, 263 to 72, uh, item 6 on your handout there. Uh, uh, published by Stokes in uh, 1862, not in Calcutta in 1868, as the, uh, the catalogue has it. Um, OK, in, in addition, it led to the publication of the first grammar of Middle Irish uh, at a time when the term Middle Irish was applied to the period 1100 to 1500. Uh, that's handout number seven, that's uh, Georges uh, Dottin, uh, Manuel Diagrande Moyen. Um, and all of the illustrations, there's two volumes, right, the grammar and then uh, text and glossary. And all of the illustrative examples in volume one and all of the reading selections in volume two are taken from the Larbrack. So this grammar uh, is based entirely on text found in the uh, Larbrack. Right, and then item number eight, back to this, um, this uh, name again. Uh, um, a very large body of text um, taken from El uh, Larbrack are edited and translated in the Passions and Homilies from the Larbrack, uh, published in 1887. Uh, uh, so item number eight, it represents neither a critical nor a diplomatic um, uh, edition. Now, in addition to the transcription, Olunga had gone over his transcription um, and compiled a list of corrigenda to his own transcription which is published in the facsimile edition. So at the back of the facsimile edition of 1876, there's a list of uh, pages of Corrigenda by Olungon himself. This made no difference to Atkinson, 
he did not bother to consult the Corrigenda. And I give an egregious example on the handout there, uh, number eight. Uh, eight. Um, uh, the back on um, page eight, column B, line 33, has uh, purple. Uh, the wrong form of the uh, adjective for purple. Um, the, in the facsimile, uh, he has missed, there's a superscript um, A over the, over the C. Olungan uh, missed out that. Right? So he, print, he had in the facsimile. But in the corrigenda at the back, he corrected that to Chorkra. Uh, the Passions and Homilies, line 621, has um, And in DIL, it's the first entry in DIL. It's a ghost word. Um, it's the first word in DIL, uh, sub, uh, sub, uh, sub um, uh, for So, I'll have more to say about this publication later on. As I say, I can't avoid uh, this, uh, this name. Now, um, to move on then to uh, diplomatic uh, uh, editions. After the publication of the last uh, facsimile in 1954, the provision of what we may, may be called the raw materials for the scholarship of medieval Irish uh, continued in another form, namely the diplomatic edition of the Book of Leinster. Uh, published by the Institute for Advanced Studies in six volumes between 1954 and 1983. Uh, this had been preceded by the diplomatic edition of Laura Mahira, so these are all on handout number nine going backwards, uh, uh, by the diplomatic edition of Laura Mahira, published by the Academy in 1929. Both of these manuscripts are almost entirely in the vernacular, and unlike the photographic facsimiles, they are not the result of mechanical reproduction. Uh, and an earlier reproduction, in this case of a manuscript mostly in Latin, but with some substantial passages in Old Irish, is of particular interest. This is the edition of the Book of Armagh by uh, John Gwynne, uh, which is an example of a so-called typographical facsimile, halfway between a facsimile and a diplomatic edition. So on handout pages six and seven, so the images there, if you go to those facing each other, um, on page um, six, um, the image on page six is from the 1937 photographic facsimile of the partition documents of the Book of Armagh. Right? It shows a part of the Aditamenta to Tirakon's account of Patrick, written almost entirely in Old Irish. And the image on page seven is the same manuscript page uh, as reproduced in Gwynne's edition. Right? And so you can see what, what Gwynne has done there. Right? Um, as in, and this is a typographical facsimile. Uh, as in a diplomatic edition, print type is used and abbreviations are expanded. Right? Um, as in facsimiles, however, the page layout of the manuscript is followed. Differences in letter sizes uh, are reproduced, uh, as are the line breaks of the manuscript, overflow from one line onto the preceding line, word division and the placement of accents. And I mean, this was a, 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 a major, a magnificent specimen of the printer's art the difficulty, if you read down through the, the placement of the uh, accents there, um, the accents in the, you can say are placed over the syllable is the best way of putting it. They're not always written over the, the vowel in the syllable. Uh, in this printed version, uh, he has managed to reproduce exactly where the accent is in the original. So if you look at the second column there, uh, the second line, Kunrongada, uh, he has the uh, the accent there between the A and the N. Right? 
and the next line here is the accent over the orange zone. That is a, a remarkable achievement, right down to those um, uh, uh, details. Um, and the image on page eight right, is the beginning. This is uh, in, entirely in Latin. This is uh, the, the beginning of the Gospel of Saint of, of John in Gwynne's edition, uh, which I, I've chosen this to show that the, the reproduction of ornate initials and illustrations. Once the uh, initials are particularly ornate, he doesn't use print anymore. He reproduces the, uh, the initials. So this again, the, uh, uh, and, and also any illustration at the bottom is the, uh, the um, evangelist symbol, the eagle of uh, St. John with the uh, symbols of all the other evangelists in the wings of the, uh, the eagle. Um, so that, you, you can't print, that, uh, you know what I mean, you can't uh, render that into words or uh, uh, letters. So he reproduces that. That's, so it is the, uh, the reproduction then of ornate initials um, uh, and illustrations. Illustrations and ornate initials are similarly reproduced throughout the edition. Again, making it intermediary between a facsimile and a diplomatic um, edition. So, uh, only 400 copies of that, by the way, printed. So, that's also a very um, uh, uh, rare uh, document. It's a magnificent uh, piece of work done. Uh, so, the, um, the production of diplomatic editions, which had begun earlier with Laura Nahida in 1929, was to a degree uh, motivated by the need to make up for the errors in the facsimiles. Uh, there can be no doubt, however, that they are in themselves extremely useful, if for no other reason than that a printed text is much easier to read than a manuscript text. Uh, this is uh, especially the case with medieval Irish manuscripts, which, is, uh, uh, which, as is well known, made free use of a large number of abbreviations. A printed text with regularised word division, capitalisation of proper names, and with abbreviations expanded makes for much easier reading. And since facsimiles of Larnahira, the, the facsimiles of Larnahira and, and the Book of Leinster, although not exact mechanical reproductions were already available, it was possible for the editor to be, editors to be freer in presenting the text of the, in the diplomatic edition. So, um, um, handout page nine. Um, uh, uh, but first of all, on page on the in the introduction. Uh, to the diplomatic edition of uh, Laura here, the editors set out the principles followed in the edition, and on page 40 they comment, with Laura here, it was less necessary to have recourse to a typographical facsimile, i.e. like the, the, the Book of Armagh, uh, as the lithographic facsimile of 1870 can still be referred to if fuller information is desired as to the graphic forms or the disposition of the text. The various hands are, however, indicated by different fonts. A, M, and H. Uh, the aim has been to produce an accurate and readable transcript. Uh, the, so the image on page nine, uh, this is the last image, uh, is of um, uh, part of the tale of Tu'an Makadil, uh, and it shows how hands A and H are distinguished by the use of different fonts. Um, uh, a at the top and H at the bottom of the page. Uh, it uh, also illustrates the editor's principle of minimal marking of abbreviations. As is stated in the introduction, the expansion of abbreviations has only been indicated by italics when points of grammar or of orthography were involved, particularly in terminations. Where no such question could arise, the extension has been silent. And finally, we may note the presentation of the verse passage, with stanzas printed separately in four lines, making for much easier uh, readability. 
Now, in the facsimile of the Book of Leinster LL, the editors went further and did not use uh, uh, different fonts to distinguish scribes, so they felt freer in uh, moving away from the exact uh, layout of, of the uh, original manuscript because the facsimile uh, existed. Um, now, uh, digitization. Uh, some years after the publication of the final volume of the Book of Leinster, the work of reproducing manuscripts was taken up again by the Institute for Advanced Studies, this time in a newer format with the establishment of the Irish Script on Screen, or ISOS, uh, project in 1999. Already great headway has been made in its aim of just digitizing and making generally available uh, the vast corpus of medieval Irish manuscripts. But there is still value in diplomatic editions, and the existence of this important resource will greatly facilitate the production of such editions. Um, in the future, diplomatic editions will be in uh, electronic and print versions, and could go hand in hand with the creation of an extensive database of old and Middle Irish texts. Uh, an important additional benefit resulting from such projects is the training of advanced students in medieval Irish paleography, and this would apply to a project to digitize any. Uh, uh, manuscript. And a start has been made in the in Dias with the, uh, the Laubrach. And I would like to finish with, with discussing some um, you know, research questions and possible results uh, that um, uh, could result from such a, uh, a project. Uh, diplomatic editions from now on can um, complement not only facsimiles, uh, just as the earlier uh, diplomatic editions complemented the earlier uh, facsimiles, but also the digitized images available on ISOS. But the object of diplomatic editions should be more than providing easily readable text. I will now look at some examples of potential side benefits of the project of the Laubrach. So first of all, the contents. A basic requirement is a full account of the contents of the manuscript, along with publication details of text which are edited. The fasciculus of the catalogue that deals with the Laubrach was published in 1943 and needs to be updated. But it's worth noting that it remits to mention a number of words published before that date, some um, many years uh, previously. I've given uh, a few examples there on uh, handout number uh, 10, uh, text which has been mentioned already, the uh, Ashinga. If you didn't know about the Kunamar's edition of the Ashinga Makonglina, you wouldn't know it from, the fa from consulting the RA manuscript catalogue that it had been uh, edited. Um, and other texts that have been edited uh, many years before uh, are um, uh, not mentioned. Uh, number number uh, 10. That's uh, uh, fairly straightforward. Uh, furthermore, the account of the marginalia is defective, and in the case of marginal verses, only the first line is given. Um, then there's the question of script and abbreviations. To put it in a perhaps oversimplified way, the present state of knowledge uh, could be summed up as Medieval Irish manuscripts have lots of abbreviations. Um, there is no comprehensive account available. While the Tunskadal-Nanod project uh, in uh, Utrecht uh, has gone quite some way to remedying the situation, we have mostly had to consent ourselves with the same brief list of abbreviations prefixed to diplomatic or other editions. All too often, the assumption of familiarity with abbreviations does duty for description. So under item 11 on the handout, I give us an example from the, uh, the uh, preface to uh, the, um, uh, the uh, photographic facsimile of the Annals of Inishfallen. Uh, the Irish abbreviations are those commonly found in manuscripts down to modern times and call for no special notice. The following list of the regular Latin abbreviations may, however, prove useful. 
and the con its, uh, contrasting treatment of Irish and Latin abbreviations is striking. Detailed accounts such as the, that by James Carney mentioned on the handout, uh, Regimen Mislante, Volume 1, are rare. The Larabrak is one of the long, longest manuscripts written by a single scribe who wrote most of it, uh, or, uh, and uh, a detailed and comprehensive account of the abbreviations used in it will provide scholars with an, in, uh, uh, an indispensable research tool. Existing guides are un unsatisfactory in various ways. The well-known list in Irish uh, Lárna Gaeilge, volume 14, uh, published in 1904, was itself reprinted from Paul O'Brien, A Practical Grammar of the Irish Language, Dublin, 1809. Uh, it does not distinguish between regular and rare abbreviations or capricious abbreviations. It does not cite sources. Um, ideally, uh, an account of abbreviations will give some indication of frequency and give exact references to page, column, and line number in the manuscript. Uh, a corpus of comprehensive descriptions of individual dated manuscripts is an essential prerequisite for tracing the origins of and developments in Irish uh, manuscript abbreviations. For example, how many of them originated as Latin abbreviations? When did they extend to Irish? How many are innovations and when did they come into being? So uh, one example, uh, I'll uh, content myself with one example there, item 12 on the handout. Um, this is the character which is similar to, but if not identical with, the US compendium. Um, uh, and it's represented, I use this symbol, three-like symbol here, uh, which is used for ACHT or simply CHT. Um, and there's a few, few examples that I've collected, all from 16th century manuscripts. Uh, so you have the upturned C for, for Connacht. Uh, so S plus this symbol stands for Acht. Um, S, Acht. Uh, Tocht, silence, conflict, conflict, word conflict, anocht, tonight, shecht, scribe note at the bottom, E35, RIAD52, lacht. The only example I've come, and I've given down at the bottom, the only example I've come across of this abbreviation so far in Larbrack is it's used for Latin, said, it's S plus this abbreviation symbol for said, right? Um, so we have it in Latin, and so I've only found one of them so far, uh, circa 1410 in uh, a Latin context in the Larbrag. We have it in extended to, as in abbreviated for Irish, acht right, in the 16th century. The question is, when did that extension take place? It's a very late, this is a very late feature, and it's very, um, um, uh, hasn't been uh, much uh, noted before. That's an example of something that with... Uh, uh, close examination then of the of manuscripts between the Larbrack and the 17th century manuscripts, we might be able to date this this uh, development even closer. And there are lots of other abbreviations for, the, for which you can do the same. They didn't exist for all time, right? They came into being at some particular time, right? Uh, but you can only um, you can only do this sort of study with uh, 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 detailed accounts and uh, of the uh, and comprehensive accounts of the abbreviations abbreviations in uh, manuscripts. Um, uh, and then another point, uh, point is orthography. Again, a systematic or historical account of Irish orthography has yet to be written. Um, and among the notable uh, orthographical features of the Larbrack are the use of the, the accent to indicate length. And this is not just uh, of what we call long or traditionally long vowels. It's also used to mark uh, syllables with middle quantity. Um, so a word like Fon basis F O double N would have, would have a length mark. 
very striking uh, feature of this man, uh, of this manuscript. It also we also see the beginnings of um, Chantal mentioned the spelling e a before uh, before non palatrons instead of the traditional spelling e, uh, or you get the beginnings of the marking of the lation a dot or a spiritus asper b g and d. These are only beginning. Mostly the orthography in this follows the conventions, the old and middle Irish conventions. Um, uh, now here, I'll, on the handout, uh, I've just to illustrate one particular feature, the use of the spiritus asper for the H mutation. As is well known, the letter H in Old Irish uh, had, as in French, no particular phonetic value. At the same time, we have a H mutation. Uh, the letter H prefixed to vowels in certain circumstances, as in modern Irish, ahahed means her father, as opposed to ahahed, his father. Uh, it's an important mutation. Uh, and that applies in Old Irish as well, a-a-thed versus a-ha-thed. But we can't work that out in Old Irish because the H does not, we know that the H does not, the letter H does not have the phonetic value of the, uh, the phonetic H. So um, there is no way of marking this uh, H mutation in Old Irish spelling. There is in Modern Irish. The question then is, can we determine when the marking of the H mutation began? One spelling feature the Larbrac uh, can, I believe, provide a useful starting point for further investigation. And this is that uh, handout number uh, 13, I've given you the examples there, has a significant number of examples where a H mutation is expected, right, number one. And secondly, this is marked not with the letter H written out plainly, but with the spiritus asper, right, which can very often appear between the, uh, the mutating word and the word being mutated. Uh, uh, which otherwise appears as abbreviation with the letter H. So I have, you know, in a hucht, right, in her uh, breast, in a hucht, right, after the article na, na hille, na he grog dechu, na hapstel, na hishke, and so on. Right. Uh, and this is a striking feature um, with um, uh, further investigation. I think there is something here that this, this is a particular use of the spiritus asper. And it's uh, if you get if it is always found, if it is only found before a vowel where you would expect the H mutation, then uh, then you can be certain that this is a, a significant orthographical uh, development. Uh, the more uh, examples you uh, collect, the more you can make such a statement with confidence. Okay, and then finally, the uh, back to it's a bit, an extremely as we've heard by an, from a number of sp uh, speakers before a very important uh, source of Hiberno-Latin, uh, which brings us back to the same name again, uh, the citation, uh, and I've given some of the, one of the earliest uh, works actually from the, uh, um, on, on the uh, thing is by uh, Bernard in 1893 on the citations from scripture, uh, where he's looking at what version of scripture was the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, was, was the, the, the was the source for the, uh, uh, the citation. Some interesting um, uh, observations there. And I've given a number of various um, um, uh, uh, references there. Most of them, <coughs> most of them will, um, uh, yeah. uh, many of these texts were uh, edited by Robert Atkinson in his Passions and Homilies. Uh, the dip a diplomatic edition would not simply be a reprinting of it. I've already pointed out that the Corrigenda were not consulted for, for Passions and Homilies. The edition is highly defective in another fundamental way because he removed all the Latin from the bilingual text, thus giving a completely false impression of their contents and makeup. It was severely and rightly criticized in Darbar de Jubainville's review, uh, handout number eight, and in the works by Poppe, Tristram, and Miles listed on the handout number 14. 
Thus, for instance, Brent Miles, uh, page 142, comments, Atkinson unfortunately set back critical study of these texts with his odd editorial decision to extract the Latin from the Irish and then print the Irish as an independent text with the Latin relegated to an appendix. It is widely acknowledged that all the texts from this collection need to be re-edited to modern standards. Uh, furthermore, Atkinson has nothing whatsoever to say in the dating of these texts, and there's a useful summary of the opinions of various scholars in the paper by Jackson mentioned on the uh, handout. But um, rather than um, continue uh, talking about Atkinson, I will uh, refer instead to two examples of how these texts should be um, uh, presented. I note on the handout number 14 uh, two papers by Roshin McLaughlin. Uh, the first one is almost all in Latin, a Latin-Irish text on fasting in the Larbrack, published in Area Volume 60. And uh, the second one, uh, a text on almsgiving, is a really good example of Latin alternating with a, a, a Middle, Middle Irish, or uh, uh, perhaps slightly later, um, uh, translation. Uh, so I've given the hand an example from paragraph 13 of that text, um, McLaughlin, um, um, uh, uh, 2011. And that's the way that the, uh, the text actually appears. It doesn't have underlining. Underlining is just to make it clear for the reader that the, the Latin can visually see it. But uh, that's the way the text appears in the Larbrack. A, a phrase, secret hypocrite, uh, as the hypocrites do, translated as, as the hypocrites do, um, and so on. And so you have the Latin translated, Latin phrase, uh, clause, or sentence, uh, written out, then translated in Latin, and so on, all the way through. Uh, so it's a really good example. Um, that, and it's also a good example to see what Atkinson did. Right? Atkinson, for this text, in uh, the Irish text is printed on, pages two, on page 209. The Latin was torn out from it and placed on page 448, where it masquerades as a translation. Uh, it's called a translation. Uh, and there is no English translation. Right? Um, it will be clear then that a diplomatic edition will make available an important source of Averna Latin and a near unique collection of medieval uh, bilingual texts. Some of the fruits of the project are the editions by McLaughlin and the paper by Brent Miles on December at uh, Reges, and there is potential for much, much more.